Okay, so you have a new book out. Tell everyone about it. Yes, uh, the new book is called Let the Wild Grasses Grow. It's inspired by my grandma and grandpa Cordova, Della Chavez and, and John Cordova, and it's kind of a look at what would happen to them if I, if these two favorite people in my life lived, well, they did live during the 1920s, but what, what could I envision happen to them throughout that time? You can pick it up at toryhousepress.org or anywhere else that you buy your books, preferably independent bookstores. Thanks. <laughs> This is Bourbon Beer and Books. Uh, we are covering this month Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five. So we'll hold this up. This is the version I have. Yep, same version. Slaughterhouse Five. I officially made it almost through the entire book. I am on page 239. See, I'm completely honest. 239. I didn't read the end, so it goes. So and so it goes. So it goes. And we're going to spoil it for you. And so we're going to spoil it for me. Vonnegut yeah. was famous for putting the end up front. That was his whole thing. He, That's he, the whole thing. And his his rules of writing says tell the writer the entire story on the first chapter, and then they don't have to guess if cockroaches eat the end of the book. Sean, I want to address that with you up front because I feel like he wrote this book for people alive in 2022. The the consistent. Yeah, it's you know, there's there's short, sometimes short sentences, but then uh, repetitive phrases a lot. You know, for people with short attention spans like we have now, it's brilliantly written for that. And this was 60, 60 something, nineteen sixty nine when it came out, and um, the guy was way ahead of his time as far as the style of, oh, the, pro, you, of the pros. You say that, but I mean, he uh, so he he went through Dresden in what I think it was forty four. 1944 and then he he worked on this book for for years and years man 20 20 25 years he was working on this book and he kept feeling that he had to get it out he had to get it out and it took him such a long time to write it because because the the subject so i mean if you just kind of look at it like i'll do the plot a little bit later and you look and you listen to the plot you're like that's not a, a deep subject that's not something but no this book's really about humanity and and all the fucked up things we do to each other you know i really um i really love it because the best anti-war books and this is definitely anti-war book the best anti-war books are written by people who were in the war in some way not just fighting but maybe just had to be there there's amazing uh, iraqi poetry that came out of the war uh, written by iraqis it's good i have uh, a couple of those good books but um yeah and i love this book so much this is my favorite book that's why i chose it so should be mentioned that yes, the the author himself, Kurt Vonnegut, was alive, lived through the the Dresden bombings, and this was essentially his his way of dealing with it. Is writing this this fictional book. It, it, his writing, though, I tell you, I dog-eared multiple sections because of the way he explained things, like mm-hmm. the the accident that his wife gets into towards the end. Yep, Venetia Merple. <laughs> yeah, it it's 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 wild because it, he gives you so much without it, in a small space, you know. And the next thing you know, uh, she she doesn't make it, so it goes. But he tells you that, right? Yeah. And then it goes another another like two chapters before it tells you exactly how it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I love about this. You know, uh, okay, so I wanted to connect a little bit of dots, and I, I don't want to hijack this, but this book means so much, much to me. 
is like I was talking about this is anti-war book and it's anti it's so great because it's written by somebody who was in the war, but he's also experienced a lot of trauma. And the best anti-war books out there are they they don't go they're non-linear. They don't go in a chronological order. They jump around everywhere. This book definitely does. The first uh the first sentence in the second chapter is Billy listen. I love it. He says listen. Billy Pilgrim has un come unstuck in time. If you look at Catch-22, if you look at the things they carried, just pretty much Matterhorn, any other war book, they don't go in linear order. Because when our brains uh, are recording what's happening around us in, in a traumatic event, it records shit differently. And that's where we have people call it flashbacks. And, but it's not really a, as much flashbacks as like when you recall that trauma, when you smell something that was there or you listen to something or something, you see something that, that makes you think about those traumatic memories. It's kind of like an overlay and you're in both places at one time because your mind creates uh, records that trauma so differently than everyday life. And so you are simultaneously in two different times. And I think that's really, this was written in 69 before PTSD was even that, that term was coined in the eighties, you know, and he, it's the best book that I can think of to say, this is what we go through after we go to war and come back. That's those, why and those recollections can come back at any moment without a, I mean, other people cannot understand why they come and only the person inside their head, maybe they don't even understand why those recollections come back. They just do. And you got to live it again. Mm-hmm. Sean, I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't think about that. So I'm so glad you explained that up front because I thought it was just his way of being a little, a little wacky or something, you know, uh, with the storyline, but the aliens is way it interesting. Wacky. Hey, but, well, it, uh, Brent, I just realized that we don't, I don't, I don't see our names up and I have a bunch of new people listening supposedly because I just went to that veterans retreat, especially I told them we're doing, um, slaughterhouse five. So maybe we can all kind of introduce ourselves a little let me, bit. Let me do that. There we go. All right. Yeah, that'll help. And then I can also, Banyan. Uh, yeah, Banyan Brandon, you just have to ask, you know, and then we just throw this stuff on there. Let's see. Let's go to, we'll throw this. There we go. Throw that on there. See yeah, bourbon, yeah. beer and books. There we go. Sean, go ahead and introduce yourself. What are you drinking? By the way, it's only oh. two o'clock in the afternoon, one o'clock your time. <laughs> so. No, man. so I'm like, I'm not going to drink any beer. I'm going straight for the old forester bourbon. Um, this nice. one is, uh, remember when we did the sun also rises, I found out that uh, this was Hemingway's favorite uh, bourbon, mm. and so I buy it every once in a while. This is their uh, Prohibition style. It's one fifteen proof. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a long afternoon. I wish I was there with you. Right <laughs> so when Prohibition happened, these guys still bottled their their bourbon. They got a way of figuring out how to bottle their whiskey. They called it a medicinal whiskey. Hell yeah, it is. So. It heals what ails you, man. And I oh, am, yeah. I'm coming back from a long week, so I, I need a little bit of uh, Grandpa's medicine. Mm-hmm. Grandpa's medicine sounds good. Um, yeah. I, what am I? Let's see. Let's switch the layout real quick. I just have, I don't know. This was in the fridge. Rooster's blackberry cream. Oh, I'm drink it too, man. Has nothing to do with uh, the theme or anything. I just that's that's what I got. And then let's go switch to case. What do you got? See, so where? Uh, yeah, I've got my El Dose. I love the El Dose. But what? But it fits with the theme of what we were doing earlier. Today. That's true. We yeah, were. So yeah, should, we were. What recording. brewery is that? 
This is Rooster's too. It's in Brandon's fridge. He's just got a fridge of full beer, so we just yeah, we does just mooch up. We just does mooch Rooster up. sponsor us yet? How could you have they sponsor? Not- they sponsor van sessions, and so I actually went to a house party Thursday, and um, the the wonderful gracious owner mm-hmm. has mentioned she wants to talk to us about maybe potentially sponsoring more of the stuff that we do so we'll have uh, a bourbon yeah. beer and books and plus i'm all the way out here in astoria oregon and i i know about roosters i love them. yeah yeah we love yeah. them they're great i teach one of her sons um oh. and so you know we can push it that way like she's obligated to sponsor she's obligated, yeah. She's obligated yeah roosters um, are you listening i will fail your kid yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> He's a great kid. Um, yeah, he's a good kid. Like we had this random poetry and book reading at one of their spots that was like private. Um, and then a band followed up and he like just showed up. He's like 17, 18 years old. And he just showed up and sat next to me and I was like, hey, dude, what's going on? He's like, oh, my mom said you guys would be down here. And I said, okay, that's really cool. Sat there, listened to the whole thing. It was it was really, really cool. He's a good kid. Um, yeah, so El Dose, I love it. Yeah. Great but also introduce okay. yourself and what you're doing because I heard you're going to be on NPR pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, Case Johnston. Um, yeah, we'll be on NPR next week, six to seven p.m. You can live stream it. Um, or you know, if you're here in town, it's at ninety point one. Are you guys um, doing it live? Yeah, it's live. So it's from yeah oh. six to seven, and they're going to play a song that I, I had to give them like five songs, and it, I was telling everybody it took me it took me forever to figure out what those five songs were going to be because. Um, you know, and then we're going to talk about writing and advocacy and all this kind of stuff. And let me guess, Ben Harper. Yeah, give us. Oh, okay, never mind. I was going to say, give us one, but that was, there we go. What? what which <laughs> Ben Harper song? I'm doing Lifeline from Ben Harper. I think it's a great song. It's a beautiful song. When I have too much wine in the middle of the night, that's the one I post on Facebook. You know, oh, I'm like, oh, this this is my go-to. That's your drunk guy. That's my drunk, drunk post. My drunk I love music. K- post. I love cases drunk posts but because i can tell it's like 11 o'clock cases on the computer why didn't you like me? <laughs> i've been doing better at that um lately at least um yeah so it's gonna be really fun we're gonna talk about stuff talk about books and writing and i'll, I'll i will do some drops for bourbon beer and books you got oh definitely well she said the host said she's already been listening to the podcast so that's that's this good one? Awesome. yeah this oh, one and literally so that'll be really good that's yeah, fun. Hi, Dor. I like my mic's off. Oh, I'm just, you know, drinking Roosters <laughs> Pilsner. So here we are. How are they not sponsoring us? How are they not sponsoring I know. <laughs> and uh, I also have a little bit of, it's just 40 Creek Canadian whiskey. No, here. but is what? that mixed? What's it mixed with? Tea? I could smell. Okay, I thought it was, it, it was for my apple throat, cider. Because but... we were recording earlier. Mm-hmm. What were you recording? Um, oh, we, uh, Mark and I are doing the audio recording for Case's latest book, mm-hmm. Let the Wild Grasses Grow. They did amazingly. They so, did you know, this helps, yep. throat, helps with the voice. The throat coat here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Introduce yourself, Mark. Throat I'm coat. Mark Garcia. Uh, I'm here helping out one of my good friends, Case, recording his book and Slaughterhouse Five was on the, the queue and I decided to sit in because thought it was a great book i read it in college so it uh it hit me for sure i know there's a lot of things i forget about and hopefully i can uh recall during this session but it was uh it was amazing it was amazing i'm sure it'll come back to you so like what brandon was saying like vonnegut is so 
So he's famous for saying complicated things and very simply, you know, and the way that he writes it, it definitely will come back to you as like, oh, yeah, fuck, I remember that now. Or you'll definitely see something in, the, in a different light as well. Sean, walk me through the alien abduction. I, that is wild. Why did he go there? Right. So, uh, okay, so let me, let me give the plot. And the plot would be pretty um, simple. It's like this guy who was in World War II. He he um, he he he's just trying to be an optometrist. <laughs> Purposely, the most boring career you can ever pick. That's why Vonnegut picked it. And then he gets drafted. He goes to World War II while he's in war. His father dies in a hunting accident. He gets shot uh, while hunting, which I think is ironic. While his son is out there, um, this guy. Everybody agrees, military agrees, he should not be a soldier. He is the most unfit person to ever wear a uniform. And so they make him into the chaplain's assistant, which in the military. So I served for 12 years. I'm a combat vet myself, went to Iraq and got blown up. And um, and, and so everybody knows that if you have a soldier you don't know what to do with, you give him to the chaplain as a chaplain's assistant. And his job is to set up like this little organ and play the organ while the chaplain is um, – you know, doing doing service for the troops out in the field, and they get cap, they get caught up, and he's in the Battle of the Bulge, one of the biggest wars in World War II. It is still the biggest um, mass surrender of any military, any army, and we and it was us. We had whole battalions surrender. Um, there was so much bombing and chaos that he's out on his own, and he gets caught up with these three other guys, and they're trying to just get away. Uh, and find someplace safe, but eventually, um, it's so funny, the, the scouts leave him, and he gets in a fight with Roland, Roland Weary, I'm sure he's one of your guys' favorite characters, he's so horrible, uh, and then he, um, they get captured, and just that moment where they got captured, they're in fight in the riverbed, and these guys are all around them, they're not real soldiers, they're just kind of Germans that got caught up in, like, shit, we have to do something, and so he goes to um, – he becomes a prisoner of war, and every prison camp is way overpopulated. So they send him they send um, him and a bunch of others to uh, just a city called Dresden. And it was one of the most beautiful cities in all of Germany and throughout their history. It's just gorgeous. There's no military there. The, um, and his job as a prisoner of war – is to make uh, syrup with vitamins in it for pregnant women. And I think that is such the most ironic uh, job for these guys, too. They, they were, they were dipping off of. Yeah, they were stealing. They were, yeah, they had like the, the, like the lollipop and put it in his mouth. And, yeah. and um, all of a sudden, Dresden is firebombed. And it's still today the biggest massacre in European history. Uh, it killed hundreds and thousands of people. It actually, Dresden firebombing killed more people than um, either Hiroshima or Nagasaki's bombing. And nobody really says anything about that. I'm not saying them both together, but just they're firebombing. So these bombs, which you, what you don't read about in Slaughterhouse-Five, these bombs are bombs with littler bombs and littler bombs in there. So when the first bomb lands and explodes, you have all of the fire and police and everybody, first responders coming. These bombs are timed to explode when the fire and the police and the first responders get there, so it kills them. And so there's nobody to respond to anything else, and the whole place is just completely burned. And so um, after the war is over, 
uh, Billy Pilgrim, the main character, gets sent home and he, he starts becoming a, an optometrist again. He gets married to a very unattractive, overweight woman, but that's okay. He doesn't care. He has two kids. Um, he becomes a very successful optometrist. His daughter gets married and then he gets abducted by aliens. <laughs> <laughs> as one does <laughs> yeah and he lives on uh Carl Famidor for uh a couple years with uh, a porn star or uh, at least a um exotic actress or whatnot and then he gets transferred back the day that he would like the second that he left and he lives his life and then he gets cra- he crashes in an airplane he's a sole survivor and his wife dies right after that and he's just trying to so wait to answer that your question, the long way, sorry, Brandon, was I believe that these aliens, as far as what what um, Vonnegut was going through, was he's trying to tell us that um, he had seen so much death in his life that he was trying to figure out a way to, to deal with it. And the trial Famidorians, these aliens that look like hands on the end of a, a, a plumber, a, a plunger, um, they see in the fourth dimension. So they see your entire life all at once. And so he's trying to say, don't be sad because they're still alive in the past. And so I think it's just a, a coping mechanism for Vonnegut trying to figure out. Well, it's fascinating because he, t- through the book, he knows what his whole life is going to be because he can, and he knows when he's, when he's going to die. And so uh, that I got in, I got in weirded out and into that. I was like, dude, what if you could see in the fourth dimension? What if, <laughs> What if you knew all the things, you know? I think you wouldn't how hor- the small stuff. How good or horrible point. or wonderful would that be? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's wild. Yeah. And then I thought, man, I got to find those aliens. We got to figure this out. Find the Chalfamadorians. The Chalfamadorians, which is a wild name. And I that, love that name. That author, that author character who wrote all those books. Hildor Trout. That nobody bought. <laughs> Gilgore <laughs> Trout is in so yeah. many of Vonnegut's books. So is got uh, Elliot Rosewater, who 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 Billy Pilgrim sees in the VA hospital. Elliot Rosewater is in like four other Vonnegut novels. So he's got like this whole thing, like uh, um, that he created an entire universe, just not this one book. Gotta bring in. I was gonna bring it's in Vonnegut's multiverse. Yeah, like Faulkner or somebody. <laughs> the man the myth the delinquent it's double double case oh wait hold on. let me let me mute that mic there we go double case yeah in case you're on the double now i've got nice. you in there yeah 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 the, what so wild plot um i had to actually go back and and look at the wikipedia on dresden because mm-hmm. i i wanted to verify some of the facts the only the only uh, there's a lot in wikipedia that talks about what he's all the stuff that he said that he lived through and everything. The only thing he exaggerated was the death count apparently by a lot. Um, I think they, I think they ended up somewhere around 20,000, which is a ton of people, but oh, he said it was around 400,000. He said, he said it was around, yeah, two, four, two to four, hundreds of thousands where I think historians have, have pretty well, but, but outside of that death count number, but and when you're there, I'm, f- I'm sure it feels like all, all whatever million people died mm-hmm. um, is, ho- is horrible. But, um, it, it's a, it's an interesting super, I didn't know it took him that long to write the book, but it's a super interesting way to, to deal with that. When, how many books did he put out? Where was this in his catalog? Was this towards the end, the middle? No, he wrote up all the way until 2004. 
with oh, wow. uh, Amanda. So this was early on. Yeah, this was early on. I mean, he did the the Sirens of Titan, and that was his first real science fiction book. Uh, but he he made his career. He started his career with writing um, articles and story, short stories in magazines before television was really a thing. I mean, because you know he came out. He he left military in the forties and he was going to be a writer, and then he worked for like GE. But he, then he started doing books, and uh, Cyrus Titan was not even well-received, really. He wasn't really – I mean, this is the book that put him on the map. Although now, because of Sirens of Titan, there's a Vonnegut crater on Mercury named after Vonnegut, Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> hmm. Wouldn't that be cool? You write a book, and all of a sudden they're naming you know, features on another planet for you. Case, you did not read the book. Oh, he sold me out. <laughs> I was I was trying to be quiet. I want I want you your see per, me? I want your perspective on you see, what you've heard so John, far. I like, think I, it's good. I was nervous about Sean if he'd be disappointed in me, and I was like, I don't know if I could live very, with that right now. Very much disappointed. Um, yeah, I just I didn't. I just ran out of time. I I was telling them earlier that I I'm teaching this AP Lit class, and I have to re- read all the books with the students at the same time. So I've got like, oh my gosh, oh my I've got God, so it's like right. Yeah. So I'm going to read it though. I'm going to read it. And then we're going to, next time we talk, I'll have some, some stuff to stay. Um, and I, I was just trying to float by, you know, and then totally blew the, I blew the cover. Is, Sorry about that. Have you read any Vonnegut? Have you read any Vonnegut? I haven't. Like I haven't. Yeah. I mean, and that's you what made me read Rama, dude. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you I'm got you that's why I was trying to be quiet over here. I was trying to like, I hated every page, man. I was having any. <laughs> I, I know I was, I was trying to be quiet. I was just going to make it through this hour oh, without saying much. I was going to say interesting things like, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, but I was, but without being able to do it, and I just I felt really bad, so I was just trying to. Like, I think it's better. This is way better content, anyway. I was you just didn't trying, read it. Yeah. I was. I'm going to though, and then I'm gonna type up notes. But what do you what do you, what do you think so far of the way we've explained this book? It sounds amazing. I, I it's really weird. Like you know how you read certain stuff, and like I know Sean loves Vonnegut, and I just have not ventured there yet. Um, but I will. I, I promise. I'm, I feel like uh, I'm like I'm in trouble. You're not in trouble. Uh, well, Brandon read Brandon read the book. Well, so I'm it's sh- basically like I'm the same honest. Thing. I'm still short, like the last thirty pages or something. Twenty uh, twenty pages almost. But, well, but like I said, Vonnegut wrote. There are boobs in this book. There are that he drew. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a banned book from pretty much every well, not every state, but it's banned a lot. Here's some. Here's the boobies. Oh yeah! Nice. It's like a bunch Mont- of circles. Montana yeah. wild hacks boobies. Did you have that version? What Vonnegut yeah. said about when they told him that this book was banned, he looked puzzled and he's like, "How the hell could you masturbate to Slaughterhouse Five? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it's banned anywhere other, other than it deals with. I mean, nah. adult things like war but outside of that it's i don't know what the issue is i don't know people can't feel i can't think adult ways they'll find a reason you know we've already hit the point this year that um the amount of challenged books to be banned is more than 2021 the whole year and almost double 2020 then we're only in september so they're just wow they're going after the books this year that's for sure dory what's your thoughts on 
Slaughterhouse well, Five. Well, I when I finished it, I knew it was going to be a book I'd have to read a, a few more times for it to really sink in. Yeah. Because I thought, what the hell? And I had to read reviews and have other people open my mind because I thought, what did I just read? I did the same that thing. Was I was like, what in the hell's going on here? Yeah. I did the same and then, thing. And then it started sinking in. I thought, oh, I see. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm all about the Trafamadorian. Where are they? Trafamadorians. Trafamadorians. Yeah. They were my favorite same. book. They were great. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, we've all in our lives, we, all of us have asked, why me? And the yeah. Trafamadorian yeah. like, why you? Why anybody? This is just how it is, man. It's how it's they always have it been. all figured out. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're my favorite. Then. Okay, and and so it goes, right? That's okay. brilliant. Well, that was another another brilliant. way of wanting it to say, you know, like, you know what? Death just is happening, man. I mean, I don't know. Have you guys seen like how we don't really have death in our in our lives anymore? We always try to avoid it. I mean, um, I think that it'd be better if we actually accepted more uh, that we're all going to die. <laughs> well, our culturally, the Western culture just doesn't do it. It just doesn't right. do it. You know, Eastern cultures, uh, South American cultures, they live with it. They deal with it. It's part of life where we are really good at just putting it. We're, we're really good at putting it over there. You know, it's not part of us. Um, where like, like I said, South American cultures, Eastern cultures, they, they live with it every day. It's a part of, part of being. Well, yeah. And then when they, they pass away, then they celebrate the body mm -hmm. and people right. visit it and it's in their home for days and they have offerings and here we're like, Ooh, yeah. It's they so respect taboo. their ancestors and, and they, they, it's even though they're, they're dead, they're still parts of their family. Right. Mm -hmm. Over here. I mean, we're so good at dying too. I mean, our, our death rate for, you know, different diseases is so high. We love to go to war and, and send our, our, our kids to go fight wars and die. And I don't understand why we don't have a better connection to death, you know? So, I agree with that. Uh, I was on the plane the other day and I told like 20 people that they're going to die. They kicked me off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know why people can't. And then you hit the flight you, attendant in the back the of the head. What are you mean right now? I mean, <laughs> not this particular plane. I, I shouldn't have yelled it, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> while being pantless yeah <laughs> so, I, so i have a question um i keep thinking why did they take him why did they take him out uh but that is the question in they, the book that's right? the question, yeah, that's so, the question. So they, they have can, always taken him and they will always take him that's yeah so movie. is it is it to get his reaction to know what humans feel like to digest the situation they're in like oh what is he thinking right now at this point they are uh remember that's what they always do. That's what they always will do. That's what they've done. And, and that's, they're locked in a bubble of Amber. That's how it's always been. And you're at, well, why didn't they take somebody else? That, but that's why Billy's like, what about free will? And the trial Famidorian's like, I don't know. I wouldn't know what you're talking about. If I hadn't studied humans, for, humans in the, are the only creatures that believe in free will. And there's a great quote that is it from, it's from my early, hundreds of years ago, but the quote is that uh, for man, his exist man is the animal whose existence is a puzzle to figure out. <laughs> the only animal whose existence is a puzzle to figure out. Everybody else just kind of goes with the flow, right? 
So there is no why. <laughs> it just is. I don't know if I Case, can live with that. Case, you mentioned this line. Why do you keep asking me? Oh. <laughs> I thought you read the book. Oh, yeah. Shot, oh, no, was, you know what I did is I, I read it in my mind. I declassified it in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that yeah, now? I did. Yeah, you I, don't, you don't, go, do you don't have to. You, I mean, to read you it. can go through proper measures, but no, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't you don't have to. to. I read it in my mind. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think that works. I think yeah. that works. Mm -hmm. Sean used this line, though, um, in a previous podcast. And I'm like, okay. She was trying to construct a life that made sense from the things she found in gift shops. Isn't that today too, right? Oh yeah. Wow. God, I, I would love to have Vonnegut in his prime talk about social media today because uh, that's fucking hilarious to me. Mm. Well, I do want to read a part of it, and then Case can feel like he read at least part of the book. Yeah. And we can get response. This is my very favorite part of the book, and this is in chapter four. And um, and so what you're talking about, Brandon, when he was like, there's certain things that recur all the time, the the blue and ivory feet, right? Yeah. The orange and black flags. I don't know if you saw, if you remember that, but the orange and the flags on the train cars that were taking him to the POW camp were orange and black. The the flags at his daughter's wedding right before he's abducted and put on an, a, a spaceship and, and flown somewhere were orange and black as well. So, I mean. That's the that's the beautiful thing about Vonnegut is like it seems like it's just kind of put there and it's simple, but he put a lot of thought into all of this stuff. But this is my favorite part of it. And this is right after his daughter got married and right before he gets abducted by aliens. And he knows he's gonna get abducted. Billy looked at the clock on the gas stove. He had an hour to kill before the saucer came. He went into the living room swinging a bottle like a dinner bell. Remember, like he did in the first chapter with his buddy Bernard B. O'Hare? He turned on the television. He came slightly and stuck in time. Saw the late movie backwards, then forwards again. It was a movie about American bombers in the Second World War and the gallant men who flew them. Seen backwards by Billy, the story went like this. American planes full of holes and wounded men and corpses took off backwards from an airfield in England. Over France, a few German fighters plane, a few German fighter planes flew at them backwards, and then sucked bullets and shell fragments from some of the planes and crewmen. They did it the same for the wrecked American bombers on the ground, and those planes flew up backwards to join formation. The formation flew backwards over a German city that was in flames. The bombers opened the bomb bay doors and exerted miraculous magnetism which shrunk the fires, gathered them into cylindrical steel containers, and lifted the containers into the bellies of the planes. The containers were stored neatly in racks. The Germans below had miraculous devices of their own, which were long steel tubes. They used them to suck more fragments from the crewmen in the planes, but there were still a few wounded Americans though. And some of the bombers were in bad repair. Over France though, German fighters came up again, made everything and everybody as good as new. When the bombers got back to their base, the steel cylinders were taken from the racks and shipped back to the United States of America where factories were operating night and day, dismantling the cylinders, separating the dangerous contents into minerals. Touchingly, it was mainly women who did this work. The minerals were then shipped to specialists in remote areas. It was their business to put them into the ground, to hide them cleverly so they would never be hurt, so they would never hurt anybody ever again. The American flyers turned in their uniforms, became high school kids, and Hitler turned into a baby, Billy Pilgrim supposed, 
That wasn't in the movie. Billy was extrapolating. Everybody turned into a baby, and all of humanity, without exception, conspired biologically to produce two perfect people named Adam and Eve, he supposed. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I love his writing. I love his writing so much. Um, his descriptions, simple. He didn't look like a soldier at all. He looked like a filthy flamingo. Oh, and that's, that is hilarious. Because oh, good. In this book, Billy Pilgrim becomes more and more ridiculous. You know, in the front, he just doesn't have a gun. He doesn't really have any uh, boots. He's wearing dress shoes. But then and he's got like like the silver painted coat, this really ridiculous coat with fur. He's got silver like Cinderella shoes on. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, I thought of the famous person in MASH who always dressed uh, oh, in yeah. drag. Oh, Klinger. 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 I thought it was Klinger walking around in there the end of World War II, sort of. Hey, guys, I got, I got a question. Uh, who do you think would play a good Billy Pill? You know who has the rights to this movie right now? Last I heard, at least, last I uh, wrote was um, uh, Benicio Del Toro. Oh, wow. Has the rights? Has the film rights to this book? Yeah, because he would definitely not make a good no, Billy Pilgrim. He is not Billy yeah. Pilgrim. Never. No, I'm sorry. The guy who did Hellboy, the director, has the rights. Oh, Guillermo yeah. del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he. Okay, he'll, he'll do. Yeah. So he has. He has, He would do. Trial Famidorian's amazing, right? I know. I'd but watch I'm that. I was trying to think of a good actor, and I think who's that new kid who was in Dune? Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, that dude would be great. Uh, would be a good Billy Pilgrim. Yeah. I agree. Same. All right, we called it here first. Yeah, <laughs> I think Guillermo might be a good uh, Chaladorian, but <laughs> he, he would <laughs> make some great Chaladorians for sure. Yeah. I think my mic is muted. Is it muted? No, oh, I think it's popping up on there. Okay. Yeah, you should be good. But there's right. a lot of. I can uh, hear you just fine. You're talking about reoccurring stuff like the Tralfamadorian ships looks exactly like the optometrist owl that he uses to test people's eyes. <laughs> uh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. No, I didn't either. That's on the third or fourth read through. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right. I've read this Definitely book. Not, not the, I've read this book about 50 times. Yeah. Right behind you. I'll get there. Sean, did you did you like this? This is book? my Rama. It's no, your it's Rama. Not your Rama. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never live that Rama down. sucked. I mean, <laughs> I know. I know this. This is my cuckoo's nest. I know Case reads cuckoo's Yeah, nest. I do read cuckoo's oh, nest. Oh, but Rama year, 2 yeah. was really good. Rama 2 is amazing. <laughs> yeah. It just was written by the not the dude that was on the cover. Yeah. Part duh. Yeah, it was Part really good. Yeah. Rama 2, watch out. Sean, did you, was your fascination with this book, did it happen before or after you went to war? Uh, well, so that's a great question. And I, I really haven't thought about that, but I have read it before I went to war because I, I, I started, be, you know, I, I joined the military back in 93, 1993. So I read it sometime in the military thinking like, yeah, man, this, this gets me because I'm in the military, you know, never going to war. And then after I went to war and I read it, I was like, holy shit, there's a whole different, you know, layer to it. So, um, so when Billy Pilgrim, like he's home and he just weeps. Um, one of my favorite lines is like the 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 mir the miracle fingers jiggled him as he wept. <laughs> I love that line because he has his vibrating bed. Oh, I should have read that. That's one of my favorite lines. But like 
you just find yourself home alone and you just start crying, dude. And and like I was like, holy shit, that that's not just me. That's been happening because you I, for me, you know, you try to realize why, and it's just you're crying about the humanity and how they have so much potential, but they're so horrible at times, you know. And uh, I don't know, I really identified with everything. Billy Pilgrim is kind of a um, not the soldier that I was. And I want to say this too, was uh, Billy uh, Vonnegut didn't write himself as Billy Pilgrim. He said, well, that's what of, everybody thought was that. he. Yeah. Yeah. But you can tell like all through this book, he puts himself in there. He's like, I was there. I heard that me, the guy who's writing this book heard that or me, the guy's writing this book, he drunk dialed, you know, Billy Pilgrim in the middle of the night. There is a good interview with him saying like, it wasn't me. And he, he said the name that the guy was, um, uh, modeled after who who inspired Billy Pilgrim. He actually died in the POW camp, and he said he died a uh, he died of the thousand yard stare, where uh, where you just kind of give up on life and you just kind of stare off in the distance until you die. I'm gonna read this this car crash. I oh, love it. Yeah, section because uh, you you know some of you who who teach English for a living, uh, this is like how you describe this is how you describe things. It's it's unreal. You switch, make it, make it big there. Okay, so uh, not the whole thing, but let's see. The Mercedes lost only a. So since Case hasn't, you know, read this, he can. He, this is how this is how the descriptions go in this book. The Mercedes lost only a headlight, but the rear end of the Cadillac was a body and fender man's wet dream. The trunk and fenders were collapsed. The gaping trunk looked like the mouth of a village idiot who was explaining that he didn't know anything about anything. The fenders <laughs> shrugged. The bumper was at the high port arms. Reagan for president, a sticker on the bumper said. The back window was veined with cracks. The exhaust, the exhaust system rested on the pavement. That's a car crash right there. That's, <laughs> how, that's how you explain car crashes. That's amazing. Poor Valencia Merple. Oh man, and he he does identifiers like um, every time you hear him talk about Edgar uh, Derby, he's like poor Edgar Derby. Poor, <laughs> yeah, but poor. Poor. Edgar. That goes back to the fucking Iliad, man. So does the first line that, that well before he wrote the forward, which became chapter one. Listen, Billy Pilgrim has come unstuck in time. That goes back to like Beowulf, right? Where the first line of Beowulf, like listen or hark, you know. And like his identifiers for poor old Edgar Derby or Paul Lazaro, who was the, the the car thief, that's like the Iliad, you know. So, and I think it's it's brilliant because you're describing the person in a way where you there's a lot of characters here, but you're automatically going to go back to that one character because he had described it that way before. And I I'm I'm glad you told me it took him so long to write it because the entire time I was thinking. This is brilliant. Like the little, like there's little things in there. We're like, this is absolutely brilliant. And if he like whipped this out on a weekend, you know, <laughs> that would be because know, there's man. so much stuff. Another word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, okay. Mark, what do you remember from this book? I mean, it's a while since you read it. So. Yeah, it, it was. Um... Sorry, I caught you mid-text or something. Yeah, yeah. You're, I was, that's I why was, I threw to you. I was looking up uh, great uh, talking points for Slaughterhouse Five. So. 
if you I should have done that. If you just waited a couple minutes. Okay. Later. okay. I'm <laughs> early. We can go. We can back to Dory. Dory. He was, he was going to write them down and slip them to me so I could save face. Like, I will say. That's a real good friend. Right I switch there. beers. This might, this is a little more apt. It's Meteor Shower. Oh. Okay. It's oh. Meteor Shower by Ghostfish. And it says on here, transcend your limits. It doesn't taste very good, but. Um, no. Yeah, <laughs> what if it was still taste limits, and man? So it goes. <laughs> so it goes. Uh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so there was a movie made. I I don't recall this movie. 1972. Yeah. It wasn't that good of a movie. No. Okay. Rama. The movie was excellent. Uh, Rama two was was even better. Rama I think three is time is personal. <laughs> no, there's there's five Ramas. Just get, get oh, it right. That's a lot of Rama. Uh, Rama Lama Ding Dong. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Rama. <laughs> well, as One Brandon as Brandon said, you know, if he whipped it out on the weekend. Jeez, that's a quote. That's a quote. direct quote. Right. Direct Rama quote Lama Ding Dong. Yeah. Yeah. Back to you, Mark. Anything you remember from your college reading of this book, other than it was like, what the hell did I just read? No, I I enjoyed. So this is what I remember. So correct me if I'm wrong, though. The ending for me kind of fizzled. It was just there, but yeah. I, I it almost sounded like that's what you're describing, Sean, earlier. Uh, that's what it was. I mean, it's like yeah. he, he told the story at the beginning. It's already there. And now he's just kind of, you know, filling in, you know. But uh, I remember that. I remember just being tripped out through the whole middle of it, you know. Um, yeah, it was. It was I, I do like that there's not. He breaks the suspension. In other words, those authors that like you're leading up and I'm going to hold it out and then I'm going to give it to you. And it's like, no, F it. He just gives you, like you said, Sean, right up front, here's what happens. And then you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about it. Then you just accept it and move on and kind of go with. So, yeah, so it makes sense so that the end wouldn't be. On twist and Avant, you know, he's like, no twist. Fuck you. Yeah. No, he tells you in the first chapter what the last line of the book is going to be. Putuit. Like, there's nothing wow. to say about a massacre except for the birds go putuit. That's it, man. Uh, Which I thought that was interesting, too. That line, putuit. Yeah. Well, I mean, just the just the absurd. So you, you see, you know, so his job, for people who haven't read it, Case, uh, his job after <laughs> he gets out of the POW camp. Um, so the reason that they survived Dresden is because they're put into a slaughterhouse, slaughterhouse five. That's where the whole thing comes from. And he goes into the basement, which is a, a natural cavern in the ground. And it's so cold. That's where the slaughterhouse puts the meat because this is before refrigeration. Right. And so they hear the, the, the bombing uh, sirens and all of the, the prisoners and some of the guards go beneath slaughterhouse the slaughterhouse five and they're the only ones who survive they're the that's it everybody else is killed horribly and after the next day they come out um he says it looks like the the surface of the moon and his job after the bombing was to go into places and pull out the dead bodies and then bury them and he's like there were like a lot of women and children went into um, the, the water towers to try to survive. 
And the, because of the fires, they were boiled alive. And so he had to deal with that. He had to go dig through houses into underground and pull out the dead bodies. I mean, that's going to make you fucking crazy, right? I mean, that's insane. That's insane. So um, I can see why this whole book is disjointed and, and a little crazy because so was Vonnegut. Sean, what are, what are some of the awards, some of, some of the critical, you know, talk about this book over the years that he's enjoyed? None. I mean, really? uh, Vonnegut was shunned because, and, and this is something that Case can definitely talk on because um, in the- Case is shunned? academic world <laughs> oh well he had the crime of writing science fiction and science fiction was seen as genre and not literature and so he did not really even see the benefits other than popular as hell man everybody wanted to pick it up and it's been read in so many classrooms but he didn't win any big awards um that i know of he, i mean he wasn't any hemingway you know? i don't know i don't know how you read this and not think it's absolutely brilliant though it's impossible uh, well, hey, have you have you taught nonfiction or not? <laughs> have you been so, a part of academia? <laughs> because there's so, some bad. We in well, the military we call them badge protectors. We're like okay. that's pretty depressing, if true. So a, why was a band? I mean, uh, you say nobody's going to masturbate to you know this book, but so what's the reason it's banned? Because it was too violent? Because it it, it portrayed the uh, realities of war and what can be? Uh, because he swore in it. I mean, yeah. What do you think? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he did. He did swear. It's funny because when he's getting shot at with Roland Weary and they're running around, and they said, "Get down, you motherfucker!" And in motherfucker in 1945 was brand new, and uh, only black the only black soldiers said that. <laughs> I mean, so you're pointing out race, you're pointing out profanity. Uh, you definitely talking about, you know, massacre, you know, tens of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of people dying. Um, I don't I don't know. I think that uh, I mean, shit, man, you think about even 50 years ago. Um, well, maybe fuck, maybe 100 years ago. Uh, I'm thinking 50 years ago was like the fucking yeah. 60s. We're getting old, Sean. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. But what, what, what I'm saying is, like, they used to read Paradise Lost in middle school. Now they're reading Captain Underpants, you know? Yeah. They we're just fucking like, no, no, they don't need to know about these big things, you know? Yeah. Well, off camera, Brandon just uh, flipped through the pages and showed me again the uh, nudity, wonderful boobies yeah. uh, that, are, <laughs> that are in there. You know what saddens me is that, I mean, he, he nodded that this is, this is the reason. So parents or people who looked at the book maybe just flipped through it and saw that and it was done didn't read the book didn't know anything about it we can and just decided to this is not good oh saying, yeah this is a porno yeah that's my, that's my that's the serenity prayer between those boobs so there's like prayer that's my new tattoo <laughs> you better have it the next time I yeah it. it'll be on my ass cheeks don't be all tough, <laughs> no they're just scared no i mean this whole band book thing is they're just fearful that they'll their children will read something and think it's and think simple. yeah it's, it's it's that simple they don't want them to think they don't want them to you know they don't want them to think they don't want them to they think that if if they read about it 
it's they're going to be what it is or i don't know what, what i mean how to explain it maybe they were afraid of the whole there's no free will yeah well this is it um, well i i would say it's more because this is an anti-war book and like for our whole country's history we've only not been at war for like what like 50 years Mm-hmm. This this book was famous though because he did have drawings that he drew in it, and that was the that was the idea. Um, it's part of the book. It's the and so like, like I'm saying he's he's ahead of his time. So this is that's hundreds or that's thousands of people have that tattoo right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They probably don't know where it came from. Yeah, <laughs> they might not. Yeah, but it was. Oh, uh, they're lot. giving you the shit yeah. that hey. Well, I, it. I, luckily, I already have the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> he just got it. He was on the wall of the tattoo parlor, and he's like, "Yeah, it looks good." I want that flash right no, there. He said, oh, I got "No, my the whole chest. No, the whole chest." The whole <laughs> I just said, you know, uh, uh, serenity prayer, right? <laughs> no, that that was everything was beautiful and nothing hurt, and that was on his gravestone because. That's because us. you guys, even if you get to the end, Billy Pilgrim was killed by Paul Lazaro by a sniper in Chicago. You guys didn't get that? Yes. Well, I didn't make it to the end. That's my. Well, it was. Yeah. It was told around that point where you just showed that was Billy Pilgrim's okay. grave. No, yeah, because he doesn't. He tells you up front, and then so you just make it to the. That's why. Yeah. Probably Mark was like this ending because he does tell you the ending up front, and because it ends in the you know, middle with well, it ends. He tells you the uh, ending in in the beginning, but in the middle where it shows his gravestone, that's where he's he's dead. But then he tells he goes on for another third of the book being dead already because it doesn't matter. Uh-huh. Okay, this one, I I can't believe I highlighted this section. Um. I don't know if this says a lot about me or the author or or what, but I did highlight this section. Um, Billy coughed when the door was opened, and when he coughed, he shit thin gruel. This was in <laughs> accordance with the third law of motion, according to Sir Isaac Newton. This law tells us that for every action, there is a reaction, which is an equal and opposite direction. This can be useful in rocketry. <laughs> blast off blast off yeah oh the, there's so many good lines in this where he half crucifies himself because nobody wants to lay with him in the train car and and it's like a jesus figure it's so good man this, this yeah book, yeah it, no if you haven't read it re- read it case well I like i'm gonna it. read it and i'm gonna read do notes it. for the next podcast i swear okay and then you'll know how to find a steering wheel Oh, that was hilarious. Fantastic. That was a really good part, too. I remember that. So just just flail your arms. If I'd only get get, get methodical, put yourself up against the the left, and then the left door, just try to keep grabbing until you get to the right door. Unless you're in the back seat, it doesn't work so well. Yeah, I'm not going to help you. You're too far gone if you're in the back seat. Vonnegut's rules on writing, uh, he and I go by them. Uh, most of them, not all of them. I don't like to put the whole story up front. I like, I do like to have little reveals, but that's just me. But he, he's like, every single sentence that you write should do two things: either develop a character or 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 add to the story. And and I think he does that with everything. All of that tells you what character who who everybody is, and then where the story is going. Yeah, it's pretty impressive, actually, because because there's definitely no wasted words. No. Well, it's pretty short. How long is it? 200? 300? 60,000 words? 274. So 274 pages. Pooty tweet. 
Hootie tweet. Yeah, I remember the paperback uh, being, you know, slung along with me as I'm walking. It was pretty, pretty easy to carry around, which is kind of what I liked, you know, <laughs> uh, books. Uh, uh, but you know what? Vonnegut knew that, and and he did that purposely because mm-hmm. of that. People want to put a, a a paperback in their back pocket and not have like this hardcover, you know, fucking pretentious bullshit. You know, he's going to do it. He wants people to read. Uh, there are so many. I want to hear what you guys think. That you know, um, there are so many scenes in this book just be amazing photographs or or or, or pieces of art. Like, um, well, has, has someone hasn't done that yet? Well, so people have drawn the Tralfamadorians, but for me, like how he puts together a scene like those two drunk Russians with a with a with a horse drawn carriage full of cuckoo clocks <laughs> right at the end of the war. I mean, God, man, that'd be amazing. That's okay, just... I'm changing my tattoo now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure you're still on your ass, though. <laughs> yeah. I think just the image of them once they get caught and they're they're wearing a hodgepodge of clothes and, you know, yeah, they, they, like they look like Elton John in war-torn <laughs> Europe. I want to see someone draw that. I want to see a picture yeah. of that. With that dog that's never been to war, barking. Oh, princess! Yeah, she didn't know she was in a war. Yeah, she was drafted. That was so good. It's big, mean German Shepherd, and the whole time you hear her or you hear this dog, it because of the cold. It, he he describes her barking like a big brass gong, and then you see her, and he goes into her head with a POV, and she's like. I was drafted. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. I'm cold. I'm shivering. You know, I love that. You think it's such a mean, horrible monster, and then you see it's like shivering little cold female dog just wanting to go home. I went to Alaska once, and I remember thinking, I use the same word all the time. I was like, this place is huge. It's huge. It's huge. And as I was reading this book, I used the word brilliant all the time. I'm like, this is brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. The line, you know what I mean? So from the descriptions to the lines to the repetitive use of things, and I was, and that's why I, you know. I'm glad you chose it because I'd never read it before. It was never assigned to me in school. I'm so glad that you read it, man. That's so good. You, yeah, you have, it's fun. You know, it's good. I know that you'll be putting up really dumb things like Twilight and Rama, but I mean, I'm really glad you picked this one. Although the Pearl was a really short and it was awesome. Jaws was good. Jaws was good. Jaws yeah. is good. Jaws, we got to right. do Jaws again. <laughs> without without an orchestra Jaws behind us. Jaws too. Yeah, nah, nah, Jaws nah, nah. too. The revenge. No, 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 That one bit us. Yeah, well. <laughs> Dory, are you picking the next us. one? I can. I would love it. You know, I um, did you do a remote control? No, that was Lee. But no. remote control was an awesome one too. That was a good one too. Yeah. Sean, your lighting looks really good. Oh, thanks, man. I what camera is that? Is that your it's computer my- camera? my laptop camera with my um open window instagram filter number 12 yeah. with uh like 221 yeah i was gonna say 12 <laughs> i'm gonna say 12 that's that's solid i like that look do we have to go at like two in the afternoon from here on out or what's the deal because that looks fantastic God, man, I, I don't want to drink whiskey this early anymore <laughs> <laughs> we've been drinking for the last two hours so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all right sean last words uh, or 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 can you do this? Can you do your five word summary? No, we're gonna have we're gonna have Case do that actually. 
Yeah, my fireworks. <laughs> Case hates he, everything right now. He, he had that one prepared, but I don't know if it's going to be. This is I'm the best, best anti-war book ever. I mean, I, I know best it has aliens in it ever. and shit, but um, the the aliens part of it and the, and the kind of funny part. So you write about war, and if you've been in the massacre, you have the tendency to just write about how fucking horrible everything is, right? And how just horrible and horrible. But if you do that as a writer, all you're doing is piling troubles up on your reader, and they're just like, I don't want to carry this. You don't want to carry this. Why are you giving it to me? But if you can add, like, comedy to – I mean, if you can add comedy to the biggest massacre in Europe ever – I mean, people are going to remember what you're writing about, you know, and that contrast between the comedy and the horror of it is really going to be something special. And it was. So just yep. read it. It's an amazing book. It's really good. Read, Dory, it, you read it like five times. Dory, you got, you got a five word? I don't. Um, simple sentences create deep thoughts. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really simple, good. But you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Mark, only if you want to stab at this. I need to read again. (laughs) Case? Uh, I didn't do my homework. (laughs) That's really good. At least it's not That was a contraction, though. So is that against the rules? I don't know. We'll allow it. We'll allow it here. Yeah. Yeah. Break the rules. Sean, thanks so much for this one. I I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Um, I'm excited for someone to pick something good. I'm glad I started reading now and not with Rama. Unfortunately. So I'll he would have never come back. <laughs> no, he would <laughs> never lost, read another book as long as our, he lived. Lost our producer. And <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if, if you hadn't read this one, uh, so there was a audio book by James Franco and I was driving a lot. I, you know, I've read it so many times, but I wanted to just to like, cause I was driving yesterday and James Franco just, he's usually a good actor, but he was, it was horrible. He was Thank so bad. You. Oh really? I started reading it and then I finished with the audio. Oh, I could. James Franco was the worst. What okay. made it bad? So that we know because we're recording an audio book. So what's what are the tips? Yeah. Why was he so bad? Okay, so well, so this book, this book goes into different languages, German and French and shit, and like he just didn't even attempt to 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 figure out how you're supposed to say shit, and then he didn't really have a whole lot of. It was just James Franco reading all the voices as opposed to like. You know, when, when we, so when we did Cuckoo's Nest, John C. Riley did an amazing yeah. episode yeah. of Cuckoo's Nest. So if you could just, I mean, that guy was in it and you can believe all of it. Franco just, you'd think like, okay, he's an actor. He should probably be able to act this, but no, it was just shitty, man. He was just lazy stoned Franco. Yeah. That's yeah, what it yeah. sounded like. He got yeah. paid. Yeah. He got paid and he shouldn't have. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. He kind of took me out of it. I thought I should have just finished it by reading it, but yeah. I didn't have time and Franco ruined it. Well, I downloaded it, so I won't, I'll read the book. Read, yeah, read, I downloaded read it. I was ready. Stop your excuses. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. You've already been outed. It's too Mark, late. Yeah. Mark, you got to come back because you you only say like one-liners and they're fantastic. I, I, oh, they're great. We need more comedy. I was seriously going to try to make it the whole episode, like saying things like if Sean talked about band books, I could jump in. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I did and you didn't. I know, because I was. Uh, he was. He Another was excuse. He had been so shamed. I've been so shamed. It's better to be out. Doesn't it feel better to be outed, though? 
No. Yes. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Mm. No, next time. Next time I'm going to drink more, too. Okay. I was pretty sober this time around. Mm. You know. Yeah, last episode. We, last episode. We oh, my God. The the after party was three hours. We sat oh. here for that three hours. That was a long time. You With recorded? Our That's a lot of shit to edit. He's right? got it. He's I have it all. And you'll get like 10 minutes into me like, this is shit. This yeah. Yeah, we thought we were changing the world. We weren't. We all had our headphones on for the whole time, too. We were just like. <laughs> like we were podcasting it was really really bad i do uh, want to say one last thing before uh we go i'm also drinking rooster's beer that's true Brewery. yeah hard seltzer though that's good I so like good that. so yeah. good yeah that's usually what i get that mojito is fantastic everybody has a hard seltzer i think like fucking the mayonnaise companies have a hard seltzer and if they don't they there's should there's so much innuendos into what you said there Hellman's i'm not gonna go into <laughs> well brandon everything you said today was <laughs> Dirty. Me? Whip it out on the weekend. Oh. Then he's like, Yeah, well, I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to make you take it. We're still live. Oh, yeah. That's right. I'm just glad. I'm just Your glad Case listening. remembers all these. So, <laughs> Sean. That's another book there. Go ahead and take us out. Um, well, I just want to say I love that the closest thing that Vonnegut ever wrote to an autobiography is called, uh, people call it a metafiction. And a non-linear story told by an unreliable narrator. Uh, I, I love this book very much. And and uh, thanks, you guys, for reading it. And I can't wait for uh, next next. Will we do it next month or? Are we doing October? Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. if we do October, well, last, last I'll, October I'm gonna pick a horror did, book. Yeah, last October we did uh, something wicked. This no, weekend. that was good. Yeah, that was good. How so do y'all feel about Rosemary's Baby? Oh, that'd be cool. Is that a book? Yeah, it's a Ira Levin. Wrote Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, let's do it. Let's I've do never it. read it, so should we? Do I've it? never read it. I've, seen I've the movie. never read it. I've never seen the movie. The movie was creepy. Yeah, it I was well the done. Movie. Yeah, it was really good. Okay. I was hoping for like Dracula or something, but well, that's oh, long. That's sorry. Long. Okay. Everybody well, read it. Great. We'll do that next Halloween. <laughs> you don't want to read Dracula. <laughs> well, the reason I love Dracula is because uh, it's the epistolary. Am I saying that right? Epistolary. Yeah. POV. So P- points of view, you have first person, you have second person, third person close, third person omniscient, but everybody uh, forgets about the epistolary point of view, which is just through like... I didn't know that was a thing. Just I didn't letters. know that word. Right All the written in letters. Letters and newspaper. I, I like I like uh, vampires because the transubstantiation that they... Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> what was that word again? What was that word again? Transubstantiation. Transubstantiation? That's the word of the day. Transubstantiation. Yeah. Transubstantiation. Do you know what that means, Sean? It's Catholic, I think. Yeah, it is Catholic. Good, good You're turning the wafers into the body of Christ. Or a human person into a vampire. Yeah, It's general. It's just Catholics stole it, you know? I mean, what? They did. <laughs> I'm gonna go transubstantiate tonight. <laughs> I to what? I transubstantiate uh, all the time when I eat so something. Whiskey into pee. And- <laughs> I'm gonna transubstantiate whiskey into pee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Oh, cheers, Thank you. Cheers, John. We'll thanks for having me. Yeah. See everyone thanks on the next for, episode. Hey, you gotta come back. You gotta thanks come for, back. Thanks for all the shame. Thanks for all the love. <laughs> yep. You're welcome. You wouldn't shame me if you didn't love me. Uh, if I sign off now, you guys are not going to go we off. The no, I gotta, no, I'm just going to sign off the broadcast. So thanks everyone for tuning in, and we are out. Bye.